Good evening and welcome to Resistance TV. It's Wednesday, it's the 8th of September and it's 7 o'clock and I'm Sean Bloor and I'm just standing in for Chris Williamson um, as he's got some technical issues so he'll be on board um, as soon as he's got them sorted out and I'll be back in the chat room. I'm glad to say tonight we have um, a guest who most of you probably don't know, but I would imagine you've heard of the campaigns that he's developed in the uh, over the summer months. Um, his name is Simon Harris, and he's probably more better known for his um, social media accounts, Man Behaving Dadly. Um, so I'd like to welcome Simon uh, to the show, and um, we'll have a chat with him and find out some more about him. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, how's it going? Hi, yeah, it's fine. Great, thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on uh, to talk to us tonight. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, um, I, well, for years and years, I ran a fake news page on Facebook called um, South End News Network, which kind of had a few high profile wins in terms of getting stuff in the mainstream media, like getting my daughter in, my baby daughter in the sun newspaper for for supposedly being kicked out of the um, vegan's birthday party for in a cow onesie and the site was serious and they ran it for three hours on their website and didn't even realize um and also there was a story about the m25 being shut for a cycle race for a week and katie hopkins read it out word for word on lbc in front of uh, millions of people so again we, we had a couple of little wins like that but um the whole thing with that is that it kind of made me realize the power of social media for maybe doing good as well as you know creating chaos and we had some fundraising based off the back of that and then a couple of years ago um i set up a for want of a better word parent blog daddy blog whatever you want to call it called man behaving dadly where i promised originally it was just going to be parenting stuff and nothing else and of course you know that lasted about two minutes with you know <laughs> a bit of um political stuff a bit of general pee taking just, just kind, of, you know, kind of like a mixture of parenting stuff profanities and politics as i like to put it um so yeah fast forward a couple of years and it's become better known now for slightly off the wall fundraising campaigns and crowdfunders um for instance i mean again two of them that you might have heard of in august just gone actually um a campaign to raise money for a hovercraft called the flying farage for the rnli to use in the english channel Obviously, there was there were a thousand reasons why the RNLI couldn't have a hovercraft and called the Flying Farage. Um, number one, because they don't need hovercrafts in the English Channel because there's no mudflats. But that raised £120,000 to go directly towards the RNLI stations that are rescuing migrant boats in the Channel, uh, mainly because Nigel Farage basically um, spoke out against the fundraiser on um, GB News, but also in his uh, Terry Wealth column. And also, um, more recently, there was one called Help Our Own First, which was a campaign to raise money for organisations in Essex that are helping Afghan refugees and their families coming over and settling in. And again, that was Help Our Own First. About a thousand people messaged me to me that I spelled it wrong, completely not guessing the joke, that it was aimed at all the people who scream Help Our Own First and spell it A-R-E. Um, but yeah, so I just generally do a bit of everything on my Facebook pages. It's quite a eclectic mix i sort of do covid stuff for you know collaboration with essex county council i do a few covid bits and pieces for essex coronavirus action where we try and hit people that don't want to listen to the government messaging for one reason or another so it's a real eclectic mix of stuff that i'm up to 
Okay, that's. That, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, there's no better way of uh, taking the Mickey out of the uh, the right wing by using a bit of satire against them. Oh, yeah. um, I I can imagine that didn't go down very well. What sort of comments were you getting? Well, um, specifically with the fundraisers recently, other than the people getting in chat saying you've spelled R wrong, um, quite a few nasty messages or nasty comments popping up about you know you don't care about homeless veterans. It's that constant thing about people just throw the homeless veterans argument in every time you try and speak out and you know speak up in in favor of migrants coming over or anything like that and refugees and anything of that nature and it's, it's, it's always the same tired arguments that get thrown out saying well why isn't this government helping our own first well you know they are to an extent but at the same time these people obviously need help too and just people saying you know um, he's keeping the money for himself, which is preposterous because it all went directly to the RNLI. Um, and just people basically carrying on the bile and hatred instead of towards them, towards me. Again, it's just stuff that I take in Australia because that's what happens. I think when you have a large social media page, people just trap off and you just get on, you just get on the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you're using satire against people, yeah. then uh, you will attract quite a lot of trolls. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had my my own taste of that in the past, um, which is why I don't have a Twitter page or any social media pages of my own anymore. Um, so, what sort of things is the money going to going to help to do? What's what's it actually achieving um, for the Afghan uh, refugees? Um, are, there, are there any sort of projects that you've had your eye on particularly or is it just going to a general um fundraising organization or charity i mean i'm quite fortunate because the people that i work with for my collaborative work with sort of local government and local council and things like that is that um we have we have friends at an, at an, um, an organization called the ealc essex association of local councils and what they've agreed to do for us is they're basically holding the money in um in a fundraising account and they're also distributing micro grants basically to all the various voluntary organizations on the ground that are helping the families that are settling in here for instance um best one so far is that so many people donated physical items when the call went out a couple of weeks ago that we had to ask people to stop mm. but the issue is people were literally just turning up in their droves awesome awesome experience all over essex and the rest of the uk from what i can see but people were turning up with all this stuff. They didn't have anywhere to store it and organize it, keep it dry. So, so far we've been able to use some of the money to fund just a massive shipping container that's sitting in a car park in Great Dunmore in North Essex. And it means that the volunteers can organize all of the stuff and just get it out to the people who need it. And I think, um, speaking more long-term, a conversation I had earlier, the money is going to be used not just for physical items, but for just general assistance in helping them settle in for instance it's been mentioned that it can go towards english lessons on the ground it can go towards um social support you know there's there are so many different cbs or i think they're called cbs organizations in essex helping out in each particular area that for any needs that come up they can just literally come to our fund and say oh hi i need x amount for x y and z and then we can just do our what or rather they they'll take care of all the checks at their end make sure it's all okay and just um get the money spent so it's just, it's just a really flexible way of getting people the help they need now, basically. 
Just to give us a, more of an idea of uh, what's happening nationally um, with the re refugees, how many refugees um, have the UK actually said we will we will help? Have you any idea of that? I, think, I remember somebody saying there's a figure of about 20,000 long term. I can't remember what exactly was said now. There's a figure of about 20,000 long term maybe 5,000 in his first trance. I can't remember exactly what the figures were from the um, reports that I've seen. Because I, I, I remember um, when the, the last time we were receiving refugees, we, we, you know, the government said they were going to receive so many thousand and they didn't end up taking even half that amount of people. Um, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very sceptical as, as, you know, as to whether we'll actually get 20,000 people here um, you know, in the in the end, because, you know, at the end of the day, it was the US and it was the UK and other coalition parties on, you know, from the West who started this war um, in Afghanistan and uh, in Iraq. And um, the people have been absolutely devastated by war and by the terror that was um, heaped on them. Um, and I'm sure there, there are hundreds of thousands of people who need a home, not just 20,000. Um, what would you say to the government um, about putting limitations on the amount of refugees um, that we can accept, given, um, given that they caused these people to be refugees in the first place? I'd say that, it, I say that it's important to monitor the situation as it goes on because i mean we've got no idea possibly how many people got out of afghanistan via other routes for instance i mean it was all it was, it was quite well known that Kabul airport was like the main route out for a while wasn't it and then there was a time when it was the only route out we don't know exactly how many afghan refugees sort of got out of afghanistan and by some other route and we don't know essentially what happens then whether they've settled locally whether they're trying to whether they're trying to travel further across europe we just don't know so I'd say it's important for the government to monitor it, monitor the situation as it goes along, and not just make decisions based on whether they want to win another election, if I'm being honest. Because again, I've lost track of the number of people I know on my own social media who have who are really, really vocal about every government announcement at the moment regarding the Afghan refugees, and yet go back a couple of years to the general election, they were the people saying that Boris Johnson was the second coming. Obviously you know, people's minds can change. But what we don't want is maybe in a, you know, a bit further down the line for the government to say, well, we're going to limit the number of people that we can help because we don't want to lose another election. I think that's the important thing. Again, we just don't know the exact number who are possibly going to turn up at a later point and go out of Afghanistan. So I think it's more important for the government maybe to adopt more of a humanitarian approach than a, oh, God, if we do this, we might get voted out approach, which could happen, to be fair. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but I still think, you know, from from a socialist person, from a humanitarian position, not just a socialist position, um, that at the end of the day, these are people who've been bombed out of their homes and they're innocent people, innocent women, children, um, elderly people who have got nowhere to go. Um, do, do you have... Um, any further insight as to what's happening in Afghanistan after the withdrawal of troops? Um, how are how are people coping? What's happening there with the Taliban? Um, we only know what the 
mainstream media wants us to know. Um, you know, have you got any further insight into what's actually really happening over there? I think it's difficult because when you ignore the mainstream media, the only other option you've got, unless you know people that are there, is to keep an eye on social media as well. And then there are questions about, well, can people access social media in Afghanistan in general and just generally say what's going on? Um, I would imagine, and again, it's just my gut, my gut feeling is that maybe in the big cities, maybe where they feel like the Taliban maybe feel like they're being watched. I don't know. Maybe they're because obviously some governments have left their um, so they've, they've left their embassies in place. They, you know, I just get the impression that maybe in the big cities the Taliban are going to be on possibly better behaviour than maybe out in the country, you know, maybe out in the countryside where there's essentially nobody to really keep an eye on what's happening. And based on that, I would probably imagine that there will be a lot more people trying to leave Afghanistan maybe in the coming weeks and months. Which is when it just begs the question: If all of a sudden more and more people turn, even when we talk about people crossing the channel, at some point the government—it's not just going to be people saying, "Yeah, I'm got, I'm definitely from Afghanistan," because they know it's going to get them possibly more of a chance of staying in the UK. Surely there has to be a way of figuring out exactly where these people are coming from, and when more and more people start coming in through other means and saying, "Yes, I was in Afghanistan," I've now obviously trying to flee Afghanistan. Surely at that point, the government are going to have to rethink in terms of the numbers. Again, we just don't know what's going to happen in the next three, six months or whatever. Yeah, and obviously um, winter will be coming on soon and winters can be pretty harsh out in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, my, my brother did two tours over there um, whilst he was working with the Territorial Army in a logistics role. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he said how, how brutal the winters can be. Um, so it's, it's important that people can, can get the right care and shelter. Um, I, think, I, think, I think above all else, I'm just thinking from a social media point of view, it's very important, I think, for a lot of the people now who are the most vocal, who are the most vocal against Afghan refugees coming here. I think it's really important for them to maybe look beyond some of the more right-wing minded pages who are generally trying to tie this in with so many other things they've tried to tie it in with in the past and just saying, oh, you know, if they all do end up coming here, we're going to end up fighting for school places and all the rest of it in terms of infrastructure and stuff like that. And I think it's important for people to realise that a lot of the stuff that they're reading on social media is just from people with an agenda. Mm. Okay, you, you could equally argue that us sat here now is trying to push a different agenda. But again, I think it's important for people to realise that a lot of the stuff they are seeing on social media might not be giving them the full picture. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and we know we know that there's um, a lot of people out there who are trying to give misinformation. Um, yeah. For, you know from the right um oh yeah no, i mean it's just it's just matter and again just again <clears throat> example that i think of that does make me you know blood boil slightly is when you look at sites like leave dot sorry pages like leave dot uh, leave dot eu for instance where they've, they've built up a massive following off the back of being very pro leave and pro brexit and anti-european union well since the vote and since we left the European Union. Obviously, they're taking more and more of now a kind of anti-immigrant stance. And there was a headline recently, I can't even remember exactly which day it was, but literally they were talking about migrants being responsible for an attack, but they didn't make it clear in the headline where or some assault or a crime. Yet they weren't leave, you know, they weren't making it clear that it was happening 
elsewhere, like along Huawei or something like that. And yet the way that they were, the way they frame it is like, this is happening in the UK or this could happen in the UK. When in fact, responsible reporting would dictate that maybe it should, these little bits of information should be more prominent, basically. Because people, we know for a fact with Facebook, people just read a headline, maybe don't even click. They'll just literally be straight in the comments and mouthing off. When in fact, I think you do get a lot of misleading headlines, clickbait in not just these white wing pages, but also maybe even in the mainstream media as well. When you look at the Daily Mail and you say, and you see something and you read a headline and think, oh my God, that's awful. And then six paragraphs down, it's in Albania. All right, it's still bad. But the way that they're trying to tie it in with what's happening now, and they're, they're doing it in a very dog whistle, underhand way, I think. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. So what, what would you say to those people who actually read the likes of the Daily Mail or the Sun um, and they just spout the headlines that are, are in those particular newspapers? What, what would you like to say to them? Maybe read, maybe read the articles, but maybe read the articles elsewhere as well. Because, again, there's always the argument saying, well, I don't read the Daily Mail because it's too left wing or I don't read the Independent, it's too left wing. But then if they're sat there reading the Daily Mail and literally soaking in all the information they're basically counteracting their own argument with garbage i think i think you just need to think about where you're reading an article for instance it's even on a really basic level when you're when you see an article from the sun pop up and it's about a single mum on benefits something like that you have to take a step back and think well hang on a minute this is in the sun and again it's a typically right-wing readership who are generally programmed to react very very quickly to headlines without maybe going into the story and reading it properly so again you have to think about where you're reading this stuff as well it's tough and it is definitely tricky because there's so many arguments about well there's left-wing bias in this outlet there's right-wing bias in this outlet and you've got to kind of see through that even to the extent where well why is why is this mum on benefits even going to the paper in the first place knowing that she's going to be absolutely dragged to hell in the comments itself you think well perhaps the under 50 quid it's, it's just it's a there, there's just so many different um things to think about i think when you see these when you see this stuff come up in the press um you've really got to think about where you're seeing it and the audience that it's aimed at but again people haven't got the time to do that to be fair it's just a fair comment people just want to sit there on facebook soak up the information they don't want to have to possibly give an awful lot of thought to it i think this is why a lot of people now are just saying i don't read anything in the mainstream media left or right because they're just so sick and tired of the agendas and everything like that. And that's when perhaps the power of these native social media posts on people's feeds just come into their own. Yeah. So so what was your objectives um, in setting up your own blog, Simon? Was it, was it just, uh, did it happen by accident or did you purposely set out to create a blog um, for uh, different goals, different reasons? Um, funny story, really. I mean, I set up the parenting blog because I had an argument with a different parenting blogger, basically. And I thought, well, if you can do that, then I can do it. So it was literally just a spur of the moment thing. I just set it up one night on my phone. Um, and I just literally shoved content up that I thought, because I mean, I talk a lot about my son's um, diagnosis of ASD and how we kind of, how we got towards that. And I try and inspire other people who may be struggling with the system, um, things like that. And yeah, it was literally just talking about my own experiences and basically what I think 
um, again, just because of my background in writing satire and fake news, it comes across as slightly more left wing, which is probably a fair comment. Because again, I spent years not really knowing am I right wing, my left wing. I'd have this opinion about this, and it would be left wing, possibly. I'd have a different opinion about the right. I'd, I'd have left and right wing kind of tendencies. It's only really in the last few years since uh, the referendum and Brexit that I've kind of started to be more left leaning, mainly because of the way the referendum the, the referendum panned out and the sheer volume of misinformation I think that led so many people voting leave including myself which is funny it's the, it is the funny if you look at my stuff you would never believe in a million years that I voted leave and people are quite shocked about that I'm clear I make it very very clear that it was a mistake and I try and explain why I ended up doing what I did it was literally because you see a few vote leave pamphlets about all the benefits for the UK and, you know, it's all going to be milk and honey and it turned out to be a load of rubbish. But, of course, I was one of the people who would be sucked in by it. And now that's why I said to be more left-wing now. So I try and help people see through this kind of thing. All right, you could argue it's too bloody late now. But, um, again, it'd be better for me to be like this than to, con than to be constantly banning the Brexit drum, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think what needs to be said is that, you're not always going to have completely left-wing views or completely mm. right-wing views. Um, you can have different views yeah. on different subjects. So you might be very left-leaning when it mm. comes to um, the economy, for example, um, the jobs um, and um, for humanitarian yeah. reasons. But you might be sort of more conservative with a small c when it comes to more sort of social areas like oh, policing. Well, for now, I mean, again, when I talk about the monarchy, for instance, and the fact that, you know, when it comes to remembrance in November, I'm very, I'm very conscious of the fact that I, you know, I show my kids exactly what, you know, has happened in the past and stuff like that. I talk about the fact that I still think the monarchy is a good thing because of the sense of national pride. Even during the Euros recently, you know, I again, inspired by Gareth Southgate and his leadership, which you could argue that he's definitely left-wing leaning. Again, I was saying, you know, I want the English national team to do well. I want to be able to show uh, the flag of St George. I want to be able to show that I'm proud to be from the United Kingdom. And people are like, well, that's not really a lefty thing, is it? So, well, no, but again, you know, the fact that patriotism has been hijacked so much by the far right in recent years... Yeah means that it's now less and less common for people like me to come out and say, you know, I'm definitely proud to come from the UK. I want my kids to be proud to sing the national anthem. I want them to be proud to be from the UK. And I, I want to reclaim patriotism, just like Gareth Southgate mentioned progressive patriotism, didn't he? The, his general, because he wrote a really good essay before the, uh, before the Euro started about what he feels patriotism is, is about. And bar a couple of regretful incidents during the Euros. I think he did a really, really good job of that. Yeah. Um, so, um, Simon, have you got any advice for people who are starting up in um, social media, um, particularly um, how social media can be helpful to 
us on the left um, or, you know, us people who are trying to raise awareness that, for example, mm. the National Health Service is about to be privatised right under our nose, um, you know, and all the other unquestionable things that this Conservative government has put in place, like, you know, stopping the protesting, um, the the a policing bill that's gone through um, and a whole range of other things um, are highly questionable. Um, what sort of advice would you give to people on, on how, how to use social media um, to get their messages across? Quite simply, if you're starting out on social media, you've got to, if you're, not, if you're, the, sort, if you're the sort of person who takes every comment to heart, albeit positive or negative, Facebook and Twitter are not for you. If you've got You've just got to get your message across. People want to disagree. That's fine. People want to get personal and be really nasty in the comments. That's fine. You've just got to be of a mindset where you get your message out, you interact with a small amount of the comments, and then you just basically move on. And it's something on my pages. You know, you might see something on my page two weeks ago that is completely incompatible with something that I've written yesterday. And again, it's just because I post about what I feel there, there and then. If it seems slightly, if it seems slightly hypocritical fine i'm just getting my thoughts down on a keyboard shoving them out you can't if you're the, if you're the sort of person who would approach it saying i don't want to upset anybody i want to please 100 percent of the people 100 percent of the time it's just going to fall flat it's just going to fall mm. flat you just mm. can't do it it's impossible and i think what the last what the last 18 months 19 months what the pandemic has proven is that when people have a lot more time to sit on facebook and social media they've got a lot more time to just generally piling on people attack people it's happened to me before um it's happened to me again something that i regret i think is that i've always been very supportive of the of the emergency services on my page and even the stuff i've done before in the past i've been very supportive of police ambulance fire service everything like that and i think i'm probably misread the room slightly when um during the black lives matter protests in recent times when you know there is a time to come out and say the police do an, in, an incredible job in incredibly tough circumstances in this country but possibly the time not to put that post out was just when things were getting really heated in london for instance and that's something that i regret deeply that maybe i was misunderstood again it's just you just got to be so careful i think so a piece of advice would be to you know to generally read the room in terms of your audience that you've already built up and the time that you put posts out because again there's no you know i was not trying to denigrate the protesters in london far from it i was just trying to give a balanced opinion but i was just giving the balanced opinion at, compl at completely the wrong time to be fair and that's just something that comes with experience when you think about you know there's a time to put an opinion across there's a time to shut your mouth and maybe wait a couple of weeks and that's something that comes with experience. But again, if you set out on social media nowadays thinking I'm going to build a following by purely upsetting people and being controversial, um, you'll fall foul of community standards and everything like that really, really quickly. You just got to find that balance, I think. Mm, yeah, it's very difficult. It's very well. It's very difficult. Um, yeah. You know, we've been trying to build up our following, and um, yeah. you, you reach a point sometimes where you feel like you're just in this little bubble, and you sh mm -hmm. your posts are only getting shared by the same people. You're not being able to get that wider reach. Um, um, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, the really great thing about my page is that 
that I find with my followers on there is that they yes they are mainly left wing, but there are you know there are people who are generally disapproving of Jeremy Corbyn and everything that he stood for on my page, but they don't go about it in a very kind of nasty way. They just generally, you know, come up with counter arguments and put them across in a way that sometimes you wouldn't expect from people who are strongly anti-Corbyn from what we've seen on social media. And I think that's important is that there are people on my page who they'll say, look, Simon, I agree with 95% of the stuff you say, but you're wrong on this occasion. I'm like, fine, that's great. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sit here and change what I've said based on your opinion, but at the same time, I'm not going to get upset about it. It's just, mm. this is what I think. And I think, and having that approach as in, you know, I'm not someone who will just ban people who get overly aggressive with me and even nasty sometimes. All right, I've had a couple that I've had to ban because they've gone too far and started making really stupid threats and things like that. But, you know, I think the way to grow is to not automatically shut down people who disagree with you. And unfortunately, there are pages out there, I think, sometimes who do that a lot. As in, they'll say, look, you know, you're not welcome on this page if you voted Tory. And again, all right, that's possibly a valid opinion in some circles, but it's not possibly the way to build a Facebook page, if you see what I mean. But again, to think about a local level down here, I know, so I know some local Tory councillors down here who don't really do a very good job. I know some, though, who are very community-minded and who, you know, who do have, who are maybe more centre than right, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think people just generally need to, people just generally need to embrace, I think, the opinions of others without getting overly aggressive and just blocking them completely. If, if you can do that, if you can harness all these different opinions and generally appeal to some people some of the time, you will generally build a good Facebook page and a Twitter following, for that matter. So what what do you do with your time when you're not fundraising and uh, raising awareness of these issues, Simon? Um, again, the stuff that I do with the collaboration stuff with Essex County Council, again, that does take up quite a lot of my time because, because obviously we've built up a large following with the COVID stuff. We can now use that to sort of tackle other community issues. Again, people say to me, oh, you're working with a conservative county council. Have you? Well, no, no. I work with, I work with individuals who generally want to do good, community-wise, and the people that generally interact with our Facebook projects are generally the ones who can see the value in it. Basically, so again, a lot of the stuff that we do is to do with we've got a climate change page, we've got um, a stop smoking page, anything where we can work with public health to get the messaging across. And the great thing about this is that obviously, if it gets to October, November time this year and case rates start going through the roof of covid we've got this instant channel that we can switch back on and say okay this is the latest not just government advice this is what the scientists are saying and we don't just talk about government advice we talk about what respected you know scientists are saying as well and i think maybe sometimes with the government's covid messaging it comes from the same few people over and over again we try and feature other scientists for instance we've done some work with team halo who were involved in the development of the vaccine, who maybe the government didn't shout about through their own channels, but we've been able to get their messaging across to our people too. And so we've got this constantly growing following of people who are generally pro-vaccine and pro-protecting yourself against COVID. And we've got this channel that we can just switch back on if things do get bad again, which some people are saying may happen. 
and that's what takes up my time basically developing all of these different community channels that's great so what's what's next for you simon what's your next project going to be and well again i obviously carry on the parent blogging for as long as facebook deem me fit to do so but also again just um the immediate future is developing all these different it's developing these community channels that i work on with with local government in essex to tackle post-covid issues for instance um when we're talking about physical activity um trying to tackle obesity we're trying to work on a project where just to get people moving more and to realize that you know maintaining a healthy weight after lockdown is something that could be done without going to a gym six hours a day and stuff like that um but also we we're aware of a massive mental health impact of lockdown and even the pandemic in general and we do a lot of work on suicide prevention we've got some stuff coming up on our channel never too late mate for world suicide prevention day on friday but again we're not going heavy on that because we believe that every day is suicide um prevention day and every day should be mental health awareness day so again we've got a lot of mental health stuff coming up um just tackling obesity stuff coming up and literally what we've now built is a system where any emerging needs come up from a social point of view or public health point of view we've got a ready-made channel to go out and start pumping messaging about tackling it head on and that's basically what the next, I believe, six, 12 months will be like for me, just dealing with these emerging needs and just using Facebook to get the message across in a way that pamphlets and government messaging normally doesn't. Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. Mm. Um, how do you manage to, how do you build up your following on those pages? Um, well, we've, it, it was a massive open goal for us over COVID because we were lucky to be designated an official comms channel alongside everything that was going on on a government level in Essex so because of that we were able to build that page really really quickly and get that blue tick and everything like that which meant that every time we come up with a new channel we've already got a ready-made group of people to go to saying this is what we're doing now please come and join us over over here and again that's another bit of advice I give to anybody setting out in social media is that when you when you build up enough of a following on one channel you've got to use it to seed other channels because again, pages disappear sometimes because of Facebook's. Um, Facebook is sometimes they're pressured by the government, for instance, to say, "Look, you need to crack down on X, Y, and Z." And pages can sometimes disappear from no fault of the, you know, through no fault of the owner. To be honest, so it's good to use your existing channels to build up other channels. It's easy just sharing a post and saying, "Look, we're now doing work in this area. Please come and see us." Basically, so I think that's a really good bit. That's a that's a really important bit of advice I think for anybody starting out with social media you know build one channel and then build more channels and if you build enough of these channels eventually you'll achieve what you want to achieve i think yeah i mean that that's great i mean you've given me some ideas there for yeah. uh, for how we can diversify our channel um into the different campaigns that we're we're working on um at the moment um i'm not sure we've got any comments from the audience at the moment so what i would say is those people who are out there on in the chat room, sorry, I've not been able to join you yet. I think Chris is still having some issues. Um, but if you can leave me some questions that I can ask Simon, I will come back to them in a moment. And um, so we'll just have um, a, a quick sort of um, 
couple of minutes where I'll tell people about our upcoming um, Festival of Resistance. That'll give them a chance to put some questions um, in YouTube or on Facebook. Um, so, Gaz, um, if you've got the poster ready for our Festival of Resistance, here we go. So, I'm very pleased to announce that this evening our uh, website dedicated to the Festival of Resistance has gone live and you can access that page on www.resistfest.co.uk and you'll be able to purchase your tickets there. Um, it's going to be held on the 16th and 17th of October at the um, it's the Nottingham City Conference Centre on Carlton Road and um, with, it's like I say, it's a two day event. So you can come for both days or you could just come for one of the days. Lunch is going to be included uh, in your ticket prices. And we're going to be having a social event on the Saturday evening. Um, we've got um, headline people like Loki, which I'm very pleased is coming along. Alexis Vale, Chris Williamson will also be there, obviously. Um, Abby Martin, who is a, an American journalist and she used to work on um, RT. Jackie Walker, uh, Dr. Bob Gill, who's been a regular guest here on Resistance TV, as well as Max Blumenthal, who's um, a resident journalist in Washington, D.C., um, who reports on lots of internationalist issues, um, as well as on uh, politics. He's quite often on the Jimmy Dore show these days as well. Ilan Pape, um, who is a professor at the University of Bristol, um, he'll be talking to us um, about uh, the witch hunt. Tosh MacDonald, who was the previous president of um, Aslef Union. Jerry McLaughlin, who is a member of Sinn Féin. Um, Bill Mitchell, um, who is um, an expert professor on uh, modern monetary theory. He'll be coming to us live from Australia. Um, we've got uh, the Gilet people from the Gilet Jaune movement. Uh, Nina Shield, who's from Delinka, uh, which is the Labour Party over in Germany, and many, many other speakers. Um, so if you pop over to the website, you'll be able to see um, who will be coming along. Um, we want this to be a celebration of left unity, um, not just um, the people from the resist movement. We're getting together people from the, the whole of the left. So people who are interested in who are running humanitarian organisations, charity organisations, community interest um, companies, um, um, internationalist groups like uh, Palestine Solidarity Campaign, uh, Cuba Solidarity Campaign. Um, we want to get all of these people together in one place so that we can network, we can talk to each other and we can start building a way forward um, for a better and brighter future for the next generation um, and for our, for our kids. Um, Simon, you were saying that you... Um, you started off writing your blog about your kids. What do you want for your kids' futures? Yeah, I mean, I've already said that, I don't know, I'd really like them to grow up feeling like not only that they feel proud to be from the UK, but also that they feel that they can express that they feel proud to be from the UK. If that makes sense? Because maybe over the last couple of years, anybody who comes out and says, I'm proud to be from the UK, they've been like, oh, you know, you're just speaking... You know, you're just um, using it from like a right wing perspective and just to sort of maybe even channel hate because that's been thrown around a bit as well, I think. But I think I would like them to grow up in a country where they generally feel proud to be from it. 
you know, maybe a country that is deemed to be fair in general, but literally a, a country where they're not afraid to declare that they're proud to be from it. I think that's the main mm -hmm. thing. As in a country, as in you know, as in a country that embraces a country that embraces all cultures and faiths, where it's not just you know government spin that you're embracing all cultures and faiths that it is genuinely happening and it's yeah. it deemed to be fair where everybody has an equal opportunity to succeed but also the fact that they can express that they're proud of it yeah yeah of being jumped on you know for saying oh you're trying to spread hate no no i'm just saying that i'm proud to be from the uk that's all that i'm saying so i think that's that's the, just that, that that's the, that's the kind of country that i'd like my kids to grow up in yeah um and um I, I totally i totally agree with what you're saying there and i think it's you know we need to we need to take that narrative back don't we there's this this perceived narrative that i think's been coming out of government and certain um groups and organization organizations over the last decade um that that is is giving Brits a, a certain perception or, you know, or the English a certain perception. And I think we, we need to take that narrative back and we need to say, no, actually, we're a very proud nation because we embrace equality, we embrace um, freedom of speech, we embrace cultures, we, we embrace, um, you know, people from all over the world and we're a very vibrant and diverse um, society and that we're very, very proud of that tradition. Yeah um <clears throat> so i totally agree with you oh we've got a question that's come in excuse me i'm getting a bit croaky um what's an effective way of um drawing away the non-committed from right-wing politics i think i need to put my glasses on simon show me age now need me reading glasses so what's an effective way of drawing away the non-committed from right-wing politics it's a bit deep um <laughs> Again, I can—I mean, I can only speak—I can only speak from maybe a social media point of view because that's where my background is. You know, I mean, you get me in front of a crowd of ten thousand people, and I just—I just wouldn't be able to communicate in the same way that I do online. But I think it's a when you talk about non-committed right-wing politics, you're talking about me, basically, possibly. You know, talking about Brexit and stuff like that. And unfortunately, the thing that drew me away from being slightly more right-wing leaning was realizing that I'd been fed a pack of lies. Now, obviously, I think the more that time goes on, I'm obviously, you know, if Brexit is, a, it does turn out to be a success five, ten years down the line, this, this argument won't be valid. But if there are more difficulties for this country in the immediate future, we've almost got a living, breathing example of what right-wing politics can do. As in, you've all, you know, it's just like a textbook entry saying, you know, what happens when when right-wing forces take over the narrative and just generally put across a load of rubbish to get something done and get something achieved. So I think in future, we've got an example to say, this is what happens when right-wing when right -wing, um, rubbish, for the best word, when right-wing right -wing lies go too far. We've got a living example to show people now saying, well, hang on a minute, there is another way of doing things. And a lot of people in this country only realised when it was too late We've now got an opportunity if something like that arises again, saying, well, we've got a chance of stopping it before it happens, if that makes sense. I can only really speak from a social media point of view, but I think we've now got a living example of what happens when right-wing politics goes wrong. And that's something to show people now who may be leaning the other way. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Kevin Rathbone says, um, I've always been proud to be British, but when you learn our history, we were the bad guys an awful lot. Um, accept the truth and yeah I totally get that Kevin um, you know we've we've not got a very um, good history to be proud of um, but I think what we should be doing is is learning from that history the real history not the history that um, has been written for us um, for example many of you know that I used to be a primary school teacher and one of the units that we used to teach um, was about the explorers and it was a celebration of the likes of Francis Drake and, and so on. Um, but when you actually know the story of what these guys were doing um, and how they were colonising different countries, you know, that is not the correct narrative that we should be telling in schools. We should be telling the people the brutal truth about our right. history and how we came to be. And I think we need to be learning from that and we need to be able to Get, educate our children into, look, yes, this is what our ancestors did and we're not proud of it. But what we are proud of is what we've become and what we've learned from that and that we will not be, um, you know, we will not be colonialists yeah. again. Uh, we won't be invading other people's mm -hmm. countries, then, which we still are, you know, with Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, la, 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 you know, on and on. Um we need to learn to become more humanitarian and celebrate the fact that all of these people from all across the world, as a result of that, have now, um, you know, have, been, have integrated and, yeah. and celebrate that diversity within our think, culture. Yeah, and do you know something that I, I mean, something that really hit home for me that I think is particularly relevant to this is that right in the middle of lockdown um bbc one re-ran the opening ceremony from the 2000 from the 2012 olympic games in london and i lost count of the number of people i saw on social media watching that watching a snapshot of this country in 2012. a lot of people watched that and thought how the hell did we get from that to this a lot of people saw that and thought that is the britain that is the uk that we want to be showcasing around the world and again yeah, you know, horrible things have happened in our past that I think we don't need, we shouldn't be covering up. We should be teaching the whole truth. And I think it's a shame sometimes in the USA, for instance, when you look at textbooks in some parts of the USA and there's great big patches just missing because they yeah. just don't want to upset anybody. But I think we've got to have an approach where we can't be afraid of upsetting children when we teach them about stuff that's happened in the past. But we have to keep making the point that they have the ability to shape the, the you know, they they shape the future. They will shape how our country is perceived outside of it. And I think as long as we don't shy, because, again, we could get into the argument about statues for ages. But again, if it takes a statue being thrown into a being thrown into a river for people to actually start learning the history. Well, that, you know, that's kind of like a living example of how we can generally learn from our history and try to change stuff moving forward. Absolutely. And that was so powerful, wasn't it, when that yeah. happened? It was such a powerful image. Mm. And uh, although people may not have known who the statue was, yeah. I bet £10 to a penny that they actually Googled him and found out more information about that person and what he actually they did. I mean, again, again, when we do... When you think about the Colston statue in Bristol at the time, loads of people were getting upset 
on social media saying, well, they're just trying to erase our history. Well, no, no they're, well, they're not. And again, the best example I've saw is, well, you, you don't see many sticks you don't see many statues of Adolf Hitler around, but everybody knows who he was. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of mentality. You know, they're not trying to erase history. They're just trying to draw attention to elements of it that may have been ignored up until now. And again, thinking about the Bristol example, people were campaigning for years for streets to be renamed and statues to possibly be taken down or moved. And absolutely, absolutely nothing happened. So again, for better or worse, what do you expect these people to do when they feel ignored for so long? I'm not saying what they did was 100% right, but they finally managed to get people talking about something that they might not have achieved with petitions and other means. And again, this is just this is this is an argument that go on for ages. Talking about well, is it okay to commit criminal damage? Well, no, of course it's not. But you just got to look at both sides of it and really understand why something happened without just going straight and saying, oh, you know, how dare they, how dare they defile our history and stuff. Like that. Well, it's not. They were trying to make a point and they'd literally run out of other means of doing so. That's just... Exactly. And, and, and like I say, that was such a powerful image. And, yeah. uh, you know, just to, to get that message across loud and clear um, was, was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a, a brilliant example of nonviolent direct action. Um, let's see, we've got another question from Jonathan Cooper. Um, how have you managed to draw people away from right wing politics? What are the do's and don'ts? Um, it's quite funny when you're writing satirical content over time, it gets more and more difficult to distinguish what is satire and what isn't. And quite often, when you look at headlines from my fake news page five years ago. And you think, well, hang on a minute, that kind of stuff has actually happened now. And it's almost made people realise the absurdity of a lot of what goes on in right-wing politics, basically. Again, we talk about the Brexit example being a case study of what can happen when whoever screams loudest wins. Um, And I think, yeah, just that whole kind of showing, it's kind of, if we were just to march straight in and say, you know, right wing bad left wing good right you're going to hit some people but not others people want a slightly more you know involved argument so when we kind of approach it in a satirical manner you hit people that you wouldn't have hit hit originally and again when you see facebook posts about the reality of what's going on again people move away from the mainstream media and look at this stuff and said again that's another means i think of giving people the full picture and it's all these different things combined i think that will possibly move people away from right-wing politics in the future yeah and i i, th- I think uh, i think that's um absolutely right simon um and i think the the biggest point to make here is that the majority mm. of people in the uk don't vote at all they're not left left and they're not right and the amount of people that will say oh i don't do politics because they don't want to get into the debates that they don't know yeah. anything about um they don't have the vocabulary um or the you know to be able to discuss politics so they don't want to do it yeah. um so we we have to we have to open the door to have those discussions with people, um, and 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 you know this is one of the reasons why we do resistance TV is to is to you know give people a voice to have that political um, conversation and education really and and allow people to have that debate and um, and ask the questions. Um, Kevin Rath, Kevin goes on to say here. Um, the wallet rules over the hearts and minds of society. It's made so hard. We have we have to struggle and keep our heads down. No time for others nowadays. 
um yeah and you know that, that's the the working class and you know the um the news that's been out this week about the hike in national insurance mm. and um you know getting rid of the triple lock in pensions it's you know they're just getting rid of the uh 20 pound extra a week for universal credit i mean it, you know what do these you know, there's been food hikes these food been food price hikes and all mm. the rest of it how do they expect working class people when they've not had a pay rise in years to be able to afford to live um you know it just beggars belief um, again i think um what 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 all of this has done when we're sort of talking about the food bank situation recently as well it has generally made people more compassionate to an extent and i think that's that's a major plus but at the same time when we talk about well obviously food banks are an amazing thing but at the same time why do we even need food banks in one of the richest countries in the world it's just that kind of and i think because people are now starting to ask those sorts of questions people are seeing for want of a better word people are seeing the in the inspiration porn is what they call it on social media when right. you know, oh my god that's amazing but i think now more and more people are seeing that and more and more people are questioning why it even needs to exist in the first place and i think social media will generally help push this kind of thinking in the future yeah and, and people need to start thinking critically about about these things you know don't just accept the fact that it is start asking the reasons why it is um and and what do people um uh, what are people gonna or what are the government going to achieve by imposing these these things um yeah. you know how what are the effects going to be on people um you know i was talking to my husband about the hike in the national insurance and etc and i said you know before you know it um you know we're gonna the crime rates are gonna go up again the homelessness is going to increase and all the rest of it um yeah. it's it's always a knock-on for the working class people yeah um voting should be made compulsory as in australia um what, what's your thoughts on that simon um it's more a question of how you're going to enforce it because i think it sounds like a really good idea because again the biggest thing that you know people say well you can obviously mouth off on social media for hours but if you didn't bother voting well you don't have a leg to stand on but again something like that would have to be enforced and obviously there'll be a cost to enforce it and possibly questions about, oh, you know, I was ill on the day, I couldn't get out and vote and stuff like that. So, again, it does sound like a solution that's too simple, almost, to the issue of, because obviously it would do the left wing a massive amount of favours if everybody was forced to vote, because you would possibly find that a lot more left wing leaning people would suddenly start getting into the polling booths and stuff like that. This is, this is why there have been so many people slamming the whole fact oh you know you can't allow 16 17 year olds to vote because they know full well that if they go ahead and do that it's going to balance the playing field i think yeah it would be an absolute landslide which is why but again you gotta say well hang on a minute 16 and 17 year olds are generally well informed now because of social media and just because of discussions they'll have at school and they're more possibly politically active but again i think making it compulsory to vote might also promote the argument that people are being forced as in, I don't agree with either left-wing or right-wing. I've got absolutely nobody that I want to vote for, but I'm being forced to vote anyway. That might devalue it slightly, and we'd get into more of an American situation where it's literally one or the other the whole time. At least in this country, there's always a chance that Liberal Democrats are going to gain seats, Green Party, and even right, even far-right parties as well. Or like, for better or worse, it's still democracy. I think if people were literally forced to vote, 
people may end up even voting for people that they just don't support or agree with. Perhaps if people were, perhaps if voting was compulsory, but you had the option to abstain, that might be a way around it. But again, you have to think, well, what's the point there? Yeah, yeah. It's a massively complex thing that. Well, we, we need we need yeah. participatory democracy, and um, from yeah. my point of view, I think we'd uh, we'd get along much better if we banned lobbying and um, you know all these this funding from huge corporations that are going to I mean, parties I mean, and MPs. I mean, something that I've said for years is that is that anti politics is just something that doesn't work or even when it does work it's another case of whoever shouts loudest wins for instance when you get an when you get an when you get an election coming up and every pamphlet coming through the door says not what they're going to do but what their opponents have done or what their yeah. opponents have said and it turns into a situation where people don't know who to vote for because you know so much has flown around sometimes entirely accurate sometimes not i think it would be a positive thing if campaigning in future was literally kept to what you're going to do, what your ideas are, what your opinions are. And again, it, it might make TV debates a lot less interesting, but it would stop a lot of this just anti-politics and all the bile that goes along with it. Because I think, again, the people that shout the loudest will generally be heard. And when it's anti-politics, people shout very, very loudly. Yes, very true. Listen, Simon, we've come to the the hour now. I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight to, to chat to us and, and, you know, giving us all the information um, about the stuff that you're involved with at the moment. You know, please do um, drop us something um, in chat here and we'll we'll put it on the YouTube um, link. So any links to your pages or your GoFundMe pages, I'm sure there's many of our audience that would, uh, would like to maybe donate to um, any of the uh, the refugee organisations, um, and uh, and also maybe join your Facebook pages um, and join in with your debates. So thank you very much, Simon. Um, and, um, you take care. Um, just want to give people a notice that on Saturday we'll be at the Arms Fair in Liverpool um, from around, uh, I think it's 12.30 at the Metropolitan Cathedral. Um, so join us there. Chris Williamson will be there and uh, many of our members from uh, from Liverpool. But if you're, you know, if you want a day out um, in Liverpool or you, you fancy a change of scenery and you want to come and uh, join the protest, then uh, please join us there, 12.30 at the Metropolitan Cathedral. Um, don't forget to go on to our new Festival of Resistance website, uh, resistfest.co.uk, register for your tickets, have a look at the speakers that we've got coming along and the entertainment that we have on the Saturday night. I'm sorry Chris Williamson didn't make it on this evening. He's got some, must have some terrible technical problems not to be with us, um, but he'll be back again with us on Wednesday uh, to resume normal transmission. So thank you for watching and we'll see you then.